As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Masks have become an everyday essential during the COVID-19 pandemic. For those who are fashion conscious, like most NBA players, a regular old mask, those bland, colorless options just doesn't get the job done. That was until the Henry mask. So I just had this idea in my head of what a mask should look like on someone's face with no nose bridge. And I just started folding paper and seconds it felt like I had folded this shape. That is Rich Fresh, the mind behind the Henry mask. He's a celebrity designer and tailor who has worked with some of the biggest names in entertainment and sports, including Justin Bieber, The Weeknd, and Dwayne Wade. I've always been very aware of like, what's my current position in culture? How are people viewing me? How am I viewing myself? Like, I'm, I'm always paying attention to that type of shit and making little tweaks as I see needed. The popularity of the Henry mask is an example of the importance of getting your product in the right hands. One day we look up and LeBron's wearing Henry. And we're like, hey man, is that one of our masks? What in the hell is about to happen? Boom. She went crazy. Rich's journey took him from Arkansas to LA, from homeless to a millionaire, from a kid just trying to impress a girl to a force in the fashion design world. And so coming out of that was like, you turned $300 into a million dollars straight out of a shelter? Ain't nothing you can't do. His story is our episode today. I'm Yovan Buha from The Athletic, and this is Stargazing. Yo, yo, welcome to Stargazing, a show about the figures and influencers that surround the superstars in NBA culture. I'm Yovan Buha, NBA reporter at The Athletic. Joining us now is Patrick Henry, aka Fresh. Fresh has been one of the most successful forces in fashion design and tailoring. Odds are you've seen a celebrity in one of his suits or with one of his bags or an NBA player recently wearing one of his Henry masks. Fresh, thank you for being here, man. My man, I appreciate you having me. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's a great morning. You got a really cool name, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, super cool. I appreciate that. You got it. Uh, so let's let's start with this. I, I want to ask you about your relationship with basketball. Okay. Uh, do you have one? Are you, are you a basketball fan? <laughs> Did you grow up playing basketball at all? Or uh, uh, No, nah, man. No? Nah. Um, I'm like 6'1", but I, I can't hoop. That was just never really my thing. Uh-huh. I could hoop when I was maybe up to I turned 12 or 13, and then the skill just left me. So, you know, I've never really been athletic. And it's, it's funny because 
I'm historically, like in my family, I'm the guy that doesn't watch sports. I never know who anyone is and people be talking to me about this athlete. And I'm like, they play baseball? And he's like, are you kidding me? They're starter for the... I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so um, it's kind of interesting how we've got so much love in all these various sports environments. And I don't know who any of the people are. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's get into your story. How did a crush on a cheerleader lead to you getting into fashion? So... It's an interesting story. I think I feel like they've made movies about this. You know, I'm I'm in Little Rock, which is not a fashion forward place. It's just Little Rock, and a super nerdy kid, real quiet, real shy, super insecure. But you know, you know, a nice kid, real smart. I've just always had a thing. Like my whole life, I've always been able to distinguish good quality from bad quality. Uh, my mom would tell me I used to go in the stores and I would compare clothes, and I would notice the stitching and notice that this one is of a higher quality because of the stitch. So my brain's always been on something like that. Even as this kid who like looks terrible, dresses terrible, doesn't really think too highly of himself, I always looked at like the prettiest girls. It was like, you know, if I'm going to look at a girl, it's going to be the prettiest girl. And if I can't get the prettiest girls, all good. I'm just going to keep my focus in that space. So this girl just happened to be the prettiest girl at the school, in my opinion. She was, she was a black cheerleader. She was just really cool, but she was like nice to me. You know, was, middle school was not like the greatest thing ever, but she was super cool. Like she was always cool. She was always nice. And it wasn't like a crush, like a, a crush on the person as much as it was a crush on the role she played. Got it. Like she the, was the, the thought of her? You know what I'm or, yeah. But just yeah. the it girl. It could have okay. been anyone, but just like the it girl, the one that's the least attainable. Got it. Um, so my brain was just focused on like, hmm, how do you impress the least attainable one? Then turns out, you know, I'm really good at math. And so I ended up tutoring her. I, I got selected by a teacher to tutor her in math. I was like, oh, this is not even real. And it was on like a one-on-one situation, like, you know, private classroom. And it was for, you know, a few weeks. So we're doing this one-on-one thing. And before we get started, you know, half of my brain is like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm actually finna be in the class with, you know what I'm saying? So let me see, you know, how I can what kind of slick shit I can say to make her like me. And then part of me was like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, that's not the goal. Like, that's not the goal. Don't do that. That's going to make her feel uncomfortable. That's stupid. Like, that's not the goal. She has more value than that. You're not, you're going to lose if you do that dumb shit. Here's the value. She knows, she's a pretty girl. She's a girl that you would want to go after. Correct? Yeah. Find out what she knows about girls like her. What do girls like her actually look for so you stand a chance with them? So my brain was just thinking more strategic than temporary satisfaction. It was like, okay, long term, what can I gain from this experience? And I just asked her, like, hey, I'm going to put you up on all the math stuff. I just need you to, like, tell me a bit about girls. Tell me what girls like. Tell me what they're into. Tell me what a guy like me would need to do to get a girl in your position. All right. Not you, but someone like you. Just tell me the things that y'all pay attention to because I'm clearly fucking up. And um, she was like, oh, cool. You know what I'm saying? And it was just very comfortable. It was a comfortable exchange. And just every day she was just like, tell me this little thing. Uh, girls like guys who do this. They like guys who play sports. So I went and I tried out for all the sports. Didn't make none of them. So I came back and I was like, that didn't work. She was like, hmm. Well, girls also like guys who do this. And I was like, all right, cool. Let me try that. That didn't work. And I come back like, damn, that didn't work either. She's like, damn. And it was just the last day of our um, tutoring session. She was like, did anything work? And I was like, man, nothing. She was like, damn, you suck. I was like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> she was like, you know, it was on something like, damn, you're pretty damn pathetic. But I had given her all, you know, I had given her the value. Like she understood the math and she was like, hmm. You know, now that I think about it, I think if you dress better, 
I think that would do it for you. I think that's all you really need. Just dress better. I think girls will like you. You're a nice guy. Yeah, just dress better. And I was like, what's that called? She said, it's called fashion. I said, <laughs> okay, cool. Let me check it out. And that's it. And then now you're here. <laughs> I'm here. How did you come up with the moniker Rich Fresh? I'm big on manifestation, like saying the things that you want to appear and not saying the things that you don't want to appear. You know, I was broke for a long time. When I moved to L.A. from uh, San Diego, I just had this bit of an epiphany. I've always been big on like recreating myself, rebranding. When I moved from Little Rock to Memphis, I went from being the, the shy, quiet, insecure kid and in this car ride to Memphis, I, I, I had this idea like, nah, no one knows you where you're going. You could be the it kid. No one knows that you like were nerdy and got picked on and this and they're like, just show them what you want them to see. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to rebrand myself. So I did that when I was a kid and I landed in high school and I was the it kid from like day one. And my high school experience was spectacular. A lot of my social engagements have, have been that way as a result of what I learned. So when I'm moving here to L.A., I was like, I've been broke for a long time. What is what do I really want to gain from this L.A. experience? I don't want to go here to party or uh, like I'm already cool. So I want to go to L.A. and learn how to be cool. What do I want from L.A.? I want to get rich. Like I want to go to L.A. and this is where I find my fortune. So I was like, all right, well, change your name to Rich. Like, ah, oh, because then that way, every time I tell somebody my name, I'm saying I'm rich. And eventually, my my brain won't know the distinction between a name and a financial you know status. I chose the name Rich, um, and I was like going by that name. So when it came time for me to start a brand, I knew I wanted to have Rich as part of it. Uh, fresh is because like you know I'm from Memphis, and when you really dress well, you're just fresh. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing higher than fresh, and I just felt like I'm the you know there's nothing higher than there's nothing higher than me. Like so. Rich, fresh, I like those two together. It sounded right, and that was it. You, you started your own alteration business right. when you were 21, early 20s? Yeah, I mean, yeah, really like 19, but 19. I really started making a little bit of money um, when I was 21 because I started like a, a business that was more on the wholesale side, doing it for a bunch of dry cleaners. And that's when I made like my first little bit of money. And then you end up, so you end up and, going. And then lost it. <laughs> I was going to say, so you end up going Memphis, San Diego, LA. Yeah. I, I want the, can you share the, the story of how you quit your, your job at the Beverly Center? Yeah. I, I heard that one. And that <laughs> one was. Um, so, you know, I'm not the guy that ever really had jobs. Like I probably only had in my adult life, three jobs that I can even count. And I, I've never stayed in any job longer than a year. So do the math. Like, that's a long time not really working jobs. I've just been hustling. I've been, you know, doing alterations or tailoring or something. So I've never really been a job type. I don't conform. I don't follow stupid rules. And I don't respect people's titles. I moved to L.A. I didn't want to hustle so much. I was like, let me get a job. Let me figure this out. I started working at Xenia. And they wanted to open this new location at the Beverly Center. So uh, they wanted me on sales, not tailoring, surprisingly, because I wanted to be a, 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 a tailor. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, nah, you're too good looking. You dress too well. And you're personable. You should be in sales. I was like, all right, whatever, man. I just need a job. So they offered me the job. I went with three other guys to open up the Beverly Center location and kicked ass, you know, just opened it up. It was a, you know, interesting concept and kicked ass. And I was like consistently number one in sales. And I didn't even have any sales experience, but I just had relationship experience. I had people experience. I look up and I'm like consistently it's top sales, top sale, but I'm still showing up. You know, I can't walk around my, with my shirt out, you know, or my shirt off and shit because I'm getting sales. I still got to do my job. But then, you know, I gave some advice. I'm, I'm notorious for giving 
Like if I see where I could input some value, I'm notorious for doing that, even when it's not warranted or appreciated. Um, and my regional manager, you know, I, I wanted to put together this, this training because I wanted it. I wanted to make sure that the guys working with me had the same leverage that I did when it came to fitting clients because there was a huge like disparity. Their their stuff was always coming back messed up. My stuff was always cool. And I was like, this is causing problems. So let me let me let me put together a little training situation so y'all will at least be on my level because mm-hmm. I've got lots of tailoring experience. Y'all have none. Let me help y'all out. So I put this thing together. Right when it came time to pitch it, you know, everything had to go through approvals. All the approvals were were were, were made. And right before it came time to do the training, I got told that the training was going to change, which, you know, it's not my company, so I, I can't really do anything about that. So, yeah, what are the changes? One of the changes was it needed to be condensed to one day as opposed to six modules, which I thought was crazy. I was like, hmm, I don't know how I'm going to be able to pack all that information into one day. And I said, that's the other thing we want to change. You're not giving it anymore. We're going to bring in someone else to teach your uh, thing. I was like, that's weird. Like, these guys are expecting this from me. We have a rapport. And they changed it on me. And then it was a terrible experience. The training was terrible. So I just told them that um, I didn't think that was the best use of time and that we could have done things differently. They probably should have gone with plan A. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't well received. I just started getting, you know, uh, picked at. You know what I'm saying? Like little little things. And I'm a, I'm a grown man. I'm a man before anything else. And um, so when I don't feel like I'm being respected as a man, it can get personal real quick. You know, I recognize that that's where I was and it just wasn't fun anymore. I didn't want to be there anymore. Uh, I didn't feel appreciated. And so I just, you know, I had this idea and I used to have my notepad on the floor every day. And I used to write this idea out of this pop-up that I would do because I'm not very social, but I do a pop-up because people in LA like that type of experience. And I would sell custom suits there and it'd be sexy and I'd have like, you know, it'd be a vibe. I had to write music playing. I'd have some you know, pretty girls doing the cocktail, and I'd have some, uh, some scotch. I'd have some cigars. It'd just be a vibe. And I just had this dream, and I'd be, you know, floor writing it out. I had to put a date on it. Like, you know, I hear God all the time, and God came and was like, "Boom, you got 14 days." And I was like, "Word!" He's like, "You got 14 days to pull this off." And so at that point, I was like, "All right, boom, let me let me do it." I pulled it off. I made a cool little uh, bit of money real quick. Quit my job the next day. How I quit my job was was historical legendary so i had written you know a make-believe resignation letter you know if you're gonna quit a job and you don't give a shit because i'm never gonna get another job how would i how would i quit so i just wrote it out you know stuck it in my jacket pocket went to work the next day i ain't even planning on quitting um but as soon as i walked in they called me in to uh Write me up about something. It was the most insignificant thing. I can't even, I don't even want to say what it was. It was so insignificant. Um, but it was just something on paper. And I recognized what was happening. Okay, y'all going to get me on paper. And then we're going to go through this process. It's going to be hard for me to advance. Woo, 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 I know where this is going. And I'm, a, I'm an asshole at times when I feel like being an asshole. Mm-hmm. And I just drug out the whole process of signing this write-up for like, I don't know, 30 minutes. I don't know how you can possibly drag out <laughs> something like that for 30 minutes, but imagine it, 30 minutes to sign a write-up. Yeah. Even the pen ain't working. Damn, something's wrong with this pen. Or, I don't know, what's this word mean? I've never seen this word before. Compensatory. I think that's misspelled. Let's look it up. I was just doing all kinds of stupid yeah, shit because yeah. now I was, I was insulted. In the last minute, I just handed him a resignation letter. I was like, nah, I'm straight. I'm not going to sign it, but I will give you guys this letter and have a great day. And I got up and I walked out. And then... 
because I was really good friends with everyone on the luxury floor. I went into every store. I went into Ferragamo, Gucci, Versace. <laughs> I went in all of them because, you know, they would all serve you champagne if you was a shopper. Yeah. So I went in and it was like, oh, hey, Rich, what's up? It was like, oh, chilling, chilling. Hey, you pour me up some champagne. It was like, champagne, you're at work. Nah, not no more. I quit. <laughs> I kicked my feet up. And I got drunk at Ferragamo. Uh, and then I went to Gucci. And I was like, yo, what's up? What's up, Rich? <laughs> chilling, man. Hey, pour me up some champagne. Champagne ain't your work? Nah. I quit. <laughs> and uh, it was it was a beautiful day. And you, you put them out of business, right? Yeah, they, man. They went out of business a few months later, or at least Literally. at the Beverly Center. Literally. They they weren't open like, it may have been another six months. Yeah. But I'm, I'm talking about steep decline. The second I stepped off, it was steep decline. <laughs> and that was it. No, that's, that's boss. What was the first I made it moment of your career? My first I made it moment of my career was, you know, I thought I made it when I did F. Gary Gray's. I did a lot of stuff for him when he was doing uh, Straight Outta Compton. So like the City Warders premiere and I was there at the premiere when it was my first time doing something like that. It was here in LA. I was fresh off my job. It was a big deal. Like I'm right next to him and this guy's direct Straight Outta Compton. Mm -hmm. Biggest movie in the world. And um, I thought that that was going to be my moment. And it, was, it, it wasn't my moment at all. Shit, I was broker than I ever was two years later. But then I think, you know, just... Going through some of my lows, I think, yeah, I mean, it wasn't even a, a, a person. It wasn't a client. It was just my ability to come up, like, to in my brain be like, I can come up from this huge low. The clients are like, whatever. But if I can come up from this huge low and recreate this brand and do it this way, and people actually believe that shit, mm -hmm. that'll be it. Because before, when I first launched, I was inexpensive. You can get a custom suit from me for like a few hundred dollars, six hundred dollars, eight hundred dollars. Beautiful though, made in China, but there was no distinguishing characteristic. It was just clothes. And then, um, you know, man, I was on my ass. I was homeless. I was like, damn, I fucked that shit all up. But if I could do it any kind of way, if I ever got a second chance, I would do it this way. I would do it luxury. I would do it like this, and I would do it like this, and that's how I would do it. And I think people would go for it. Hmm. And as soon as I got out, I was like, okay, cool. Let me see if this actually works. And I put it out there and I was like, oh shit, they actually, they're rocking with it. And it just kept and kept and kept. And even like before the big clients, like the big clients came, but I was already making, you know, 40, 50, 60,000 a month before I was getting any big clients. Mm -hmm. It was just like, oh shit, people really like this idea of this luxury product that you're doing. That to me was when I, when I knew that. It was a hit. You've been really candid with some of the struggles you've had throughout your life, um, particularly the, the, the homelessness. Right. What, what was that period of your life like and, and how did that kind of catapult you to where you are now? Um, you know, it was beautiful to be honest with you. Um, I don't think I realized how beautiful it was until maybe like the last three weeks of it. But it, it, it really was. It was like a, um, there were so many people around prior to that and with so much noise and distraction that you don't realize like why you're doing shit like you don't you don't pay attention to like the why or the beauty in what you do because there's so much shit going on you got oh this party oh this person oh, 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 oh i'm pop you know and you don't stop and take time and i and, and i didn't slow down so one day boom rock bottom you don't have no choice but to slow down and you move slower than you've ever moved and you're more humble than you've ever been and then God can actually come and talk to you. 
So the first few months was like really tough because, you know, no one wants to be in a shitty situation. So you feeling that that thing. I don't want to be in a shitty situation. It shouldn't be me. What was me? This is unfair. Who put me here? Whose fault is it aside from mine? And then after two months of that, like two consistent months of that, I was like, it's your fault. <laughs> Duh, the fuck? It's like, ah, moment. It's your fault. It's your fault. And here's how you're going to change it. And boom, and boom, boom. So at that point, it was beautiful because it's like, it's proof that I don't think people realize like how powerful they are until they're put in a position to do something powerful. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And I think for me, I didn't realize my power because I would always, you know, if I fell on hard times, I hit someone up. Hey, can I crash on your couch? Can you help me out of my situation? It was always that. Hey, can you help me? out? Of my, hey, mom, can you loan me some money? Can someone get me out of my situation? This time there was none of that. There was no couch. There was no money. There was no nothing. I couldn't ask anyone for shit. So it's like, damn, it's just you and God. And so coming out of that was like, oh, you can do anything. You're invincible. You can do anything you fucking want to do. If you could do this from that, you turn $300 into a million dollars? Straight out of a shelter? Ain't nothing you can't do. That to me was like, it was the most amazing experience ever. And that to me, from from hearing you describe moving from Little Rock to Memphis and you recreating yourself, it, it sounds like that's just kind of been a theme for you throughout your life. Yeah, I mean, I'm still doing it, you know. Like, it's you know, it's just you know, it's it's one of those things. I'm very aware. Some people, some people hit something, and they stay there, and they get very complacent. And you look up, and the world's moving so fast that you're no longer relevant. And it takes a long time to get re-relevant. So I've always been very aware of like, what's my current position in culture? How are people viewing me? How am I viewing myself? Like I'm, I'm always paying attention to that type of shit and making little tweaks as I see needed. You know, this hair color, why? Here's why. This hair color, why? Here's why. Do this this way. Move this way. Change your pricing. Drop this thing. Introduce this thing. Like I'm always adding and changing just so that, you know, you stay top of mind, you stay genuine and authentic, and you stay relevant. So... I think, you know, doing this since I was a kid, subconsciously, has put me in a place where it's second nature. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just flip a switch where others will have to sit down and strategize and business plan. I just see it in my brain. What's the next logical evolution? Okay, cool. Let's do that. We'll get back to stargazing in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The pandemic hits mm-hmm. 2020. Correct. You make this Henry mask Correct. that has just taken over. And, you know, I, from covering, <laughs> from covering the NBA, you know, I, I, I noticed it from just seeing all these different players 
wearing it. And I, and I, I cover the Lakers, so I, I see LeBron wears it, Russ wears it, AD wears it. Uh, how did you come up with it? And you know, I think it's an interesting story. Was there like a grassroots campaign to kind of get this in certain people's hands, or was it just because you already were well known and had a platform that when you put something out, people are gonna like? Because I'm just interested in how it spread so far, and especially right. with athletes. Keyword organic. The keyword here is organic, authentic. You know, pandemic hit. Rich Fresh is doing great. You know, I'm making more money than I've ever made. What could possibly go wrong, right? You know, I had, I moved my, my mom out uh, and I moved my brother out. So I bought the factory that makes my clothes in like 2019. So I moved my brother out um, in 2019 to operate the factory because he's good with like mechanical shit. And my mom was here because um, my daughter was out here for a while and my brother's daughter, uh, we moved her out here. You know, we had that situated. Life is good. I got a factory that's jumping. I got a bunch of other, you know, stores and tailors I'm doing production for. My brand's jumping. Life is great. Pandemic hits. All of the other brands that I was doing production for, <laughs> stop. So that, that business is making zero now. But it still got bills. And then Rich Fresh, bump, zero. Nobody's traveling. No one's buying nice shit. Ain't, everyone's freaking out. So two businesses went to like zero. Damn near overnight. And I still got 13 people working here. I got six people working here. I got huge bills. <laughs> and... uh. Everyone around me was like literally freaking out. I was like standing in the middle of fire and everyone is freaking the fuck out. And I'm just like, why is everyone freaking out? Guys, it's just a little hiccup. You know, I'm not, it's not registering to me. So I, I never, I never hit the panic button. And everyone's like, oh my God, you're not panicking. I'm like, nah, man, like, bro, what's there to panic about, bro? Just trust God. Like that was, that was what I was telling anybody, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a religious person, but I was just like, oh, bro, just trust God, man. I trust God. Like, God's done some crazy things. Trust me. <laughs> He's done some crazy things. I just can't fathom God doing all that to just drop me off a cliff now. You know what I'm saying? With no parachute. Like, nah, there's there's something here in the works. I ain't tripping. I trust God. And um, looked up and finally got like a, a little order. In order to get my tailors back working, I needed to get masks for my tailors. Mm-hmm. There were no masks. It was a shortage. It was yeah. a global shortage, which is stupid to me. I was like, how can you not? have masks and that's what you need as a <laughs> so i'm like but I'm, I'm a tailor i'm gonna go in the shop and make a mask so i went to the shop i made a mask just a basic surgical mask but it was out of this material mm-hmm. black material that was it me and my brother we went down to the factory we made a mask came back up to the house uh, a good buddy of mine who's uh he's he's a, he's a minority partner in the company now he saw the mask and he was like hey you know he, he facetimed me and asked what we were doing and i told him i made a mask and he asked to see it and i showed him he said hey you made that well, like, yes, dub, dub, bro, I fucking make shit all my, my, my whole life. Can you make more? Of course. Can you make me 500 of them? I need them in like four days. Of course. I'm Mr. Of course. We'll figure it out. Of course. We'll figure it out. So me, my mom, my brother, my niece, we all went down to the factory the next three days and we made 500 black surgical masks. Well, after that, he ordered like a thousand more. Within two weeks, he ordered 6,000 of these. And like my brain was processing like, wait a second. We're making cool little money off these little inexpensive masks that we're doing for this guy, but we're missing a bigger opportunity. Mm-hmm. This needs to turn into a brand. So I remember driving up the hill to the house, and I was telling my brother, he was driving, and it's like, we, we have to change this. We have to, we have to create a brand. We have to create a unique aesthetic. We can't do surgical masks because everyone's doing that. We have to have something that's unique to us, and it's got to be branded. We have to turn this into a business. It cannot be a hustle. 
And I don't think he understood what I meant. I went up to the house. I grabbed some paper, sat down. I'm, I used to be an origami champ. So I just had this idea in my head of what a mask should look like on someone's face with no nose bridge. And I just started folding paper. And in seconds, it felt like I had folded this shape. And I just put it up on my face, just in paper. And I showed my brother. And he was like, what the fuck? You tripped. So then I made one. And he was like, yo, that's it. And then that was it. And then, you know, our last name is Henry. So branding, I was like, you know, let's build it as a family uh, empire. Let's just build it like that way from the jump. And we'll move that way with it. I want to do, do a subscription model because we're solving the problem of mask shortage. So if there's a mask shortage, let's make sure there's consistent supply of said masks. By just putting these pieces together, unique aesthetic, brand name, subscription model. That was it. I just put it, you put it together. It was real simple. You know, my brother's good with, with logistics. So I was like, yo, build out a factory that can make these masks. He did that. I gave him a cool design. I put together a cool social concept, um, our, our, our philanthropic concept, just the way that it looks online. I was like, I'm going to put it in front of my, at that point, like maybe 50,000 followers. Let's see what happens. And we just boom, launched it out there. I actually launched it because of a podcast. Well, it was an interview. Someone interviewed me asking what I was doing during the pandemic. And I told them prematurely that my brother and I just launched a mask company. Mm. I told all the details, subscription model, there's a price point. It's beautiful. Every mask we sell, we donate. He's like, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> What's the website? What's well, henrymask.com. Amazing. After the interview, I was like, hey, when is this story going to drop? <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping maybe you can give me like, you know, because sometimes it'd be like, you know, in a month, yeah. said, oh, three days. I was like, shit, it was Vogue. Like, so Vogue's going to drop uh, an article in three days mentioning this now? Fuck, we got to have this done. You got to build it now. So I, I hit my guys like, yo, over the weekend, we got to have this shit active. We launched it uh, on Monday, April 4th. No, April 13th, 2020. Boom, it hit. And so then it was just doing its thing. It just hit. I did an event with Janie and Jack, and LeBron's daughter was hosting it. Because it was, you know, like kid, kids' clothes. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the designers. So I didn't even know who she was. I didn't know who LeBron's daughter was. I didn't even know he had a daughter. Um, and she's interviewing me. I have no idea who this kid is. Um, Savannah was even talking to me, but she had a mask on. I didn't know who she was. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was just people. Um, I mean, they are. But I didn't know, you know, that they were James. And I given masks to everyone. I brought all masks. I want to make sure everyone had masks. So I just gave masks to everyone. Just on some chill. Hey, here you go. Hey, here's a mask. Here's a mask. Here's a mask. Here's a mask. That was it. Dwayne Wade, you know, I dropped off some to some of my big clients. Just like, yo, my brother and I, we just launched this mask company. I think you'll like it. Boom. And I just, you know, gave them, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 of them, you know. Here, y'all keep them. Give some to family and friends. We're chilling. One day we look up and LeBron's wearing Henry. And we're like, hey, man, is that one of our masks? And it says Henry on the side. I thought so. I thought it was ours. What in the hell is about to happen? Boom. And shit went crazy. Um more athletes and then more stars and then you know we're in LA so it's real easy for us to touch people very influential people as opposed to being in Kentucky you know so we were able to touch really influential people just from our personal circle and the circle of those people mm -hmm. um, and we looked up and something very organic and authentic happened people started loving the brand we didn't we didn't do no extra shit we didn't pay people to do nothing people just started loving it and they started sharing it they like the fact that it was black owned, that it's like two cool dudes and they actually give a shit about people. We could be doing anything. We're like, yo, let's be devoted to making sure that people have these things. We're cool. We could be making a fucking album if we wanted to. 
But we're like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to commit ourselves to this. And I think people just really were inspired by what we were doing and how we were moving. And like, yo, let's just spread the love. It quickly turned into the biggest mask brand, like definitely in the U.S., just organically. And you recreated yourself again. Recreated yourself again. <laughs> mask mogul. Uh, what, what would be one piece of advice for a designer or a creative listening to this podcast inspired by your story? What, what would be one piece of advice you would give them? The one piece I tell people all the time, if you're a creative and you make a product, I, I always recommend people make it, wear it, sell it. Be able to make it. If it's just an idea, it's going to be much harder to do the thing you need to do with it. Find a way to make one of them. Wear it or put it on someone who it looks good on so that people see it's real. Whether it's a shoe or a shirt or a hat or a glove or a laptop sleeve, whatever it is, it's usable. Hmm. Okay. You were able to make it. You're able to show that it's usable. Now, how can it be purchased? You got to complete that thing. If it's makeable and usable and you don't tell someone how they can complete the transaction, you have no transaction. Man, I love that sleeve. Oh, thanks. I made it. There's nothing there. Mm. Oh, thanks. I made it. You know, I'm actually selling these on here for this much. Oh, really? Yeah. Let me. So if you can make it where I sell it, you can you can be in business tomorrow. Um, the second thing is, um, you know, just especially if you're a creative, learn the business. Learn to be pragmatic. You know, being creative is so vital because everything around us is creativity. Everything around us is creativity. You know, we would have nothing that we see that we consume without creatives. But creatives have to be able to handle business. They got to be pragmatic. They got to know their money. They got to know their invoicing. They have to know their shit. They can't just be cute and creative. Read business books. Like get, spend, spend more time developing your business mind then you have to develop in your creative mind. What is Rich Fresh doing in 2025? It's 2022 already. Yeah, almost. basically, yeah. That's three years. Biggest brand in the world. Like, biggest brand in the world. Luxury athleisure, like, you can't even say the name globally without Rich Fresh being at the front of that conversation. Um, just big things. I mean, I think in, in three years, you look back and be like, Damn, that dude was sitting right here. He was so cool. He was he was he was smoking like his little uh, uh, pen. <laughs> he was right here. Shit, he's the biggest in the world. That's fucking crazy. That's what it looks like. You manifested it, man. Absolutely. Uh, anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Tune in to what's going on, Rich Fresh. You can you can follow me online uh, on Instagram, particularly at Rich Fresh. And uh, check us out, you know, on Instagram, Henry Mask, put an S at the end, so Henry Masks. But you can also go to our website, which is Henry Mask, without the S on the end, uh, henrymask.com. You can also find Henry Mask on Amazon if you just have to have them tomorrow. You know they got Prime. So uh, just check us out. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, That does it for this episode of Stargazing. To watch the full-length interview of this episode, go to The Athletic's YouTube page. There's a playlist right there of each episode. To become a subscriber at The Athletic, go to my Twitter account, at Yovan Buha, and click on any of my stories. Thanks again for listening. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. 
StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.